when you lead with a vision and you lead with the purpose of giving to others and it's not about yourself, then you have no choice but to keep showing up because otherwise you're just leading for performance or leading for outcome. And that has an end point. But visions evolve and so you've got to keep showing up. Hi, my name is Emily Chadbourne and welcome to Behind the Change, a podcast to inspire hope. Because let's be honest, sometimes it feels like the whole world has gone to shit. But here at Behind the Change, we speak to amazing humans who are doing really great things to make this world a better place. We find out what drives their leadership, what beliefs hold them firm in turbulent times, and what it really takes to grow their businesses and organizations to create even more impact. If you'd like to support our guests and little old me, then please share the episodes that you love. Rate and review because it really does help more people find us. And you can head to the show notes to join Behind the Scenes, a membership where you get bonus podcast episodes from me, exclusive access to a mini cast from every single guest, and heaps of other bonus content too. It's only $7 a month, and it goes a really long way to supporting this podcast and the guests that we are honoured enough to speak to. Thanks for listening. And welcome to another episode of Behind the Change. Today, I had the honor of speaking to somebody who's actually a client of mine. Her name is Amy Green. Amy is a leader in improving workplace culture and well being, specifically in the realm of education. She's an ex teacher herself, and she is dedicated to changing the way that we view well being in schools empowering both schools and educators to move from reactive responses to embedded approaches. Amy is a wealth of knowledge. She's got such a sparkly personality. Her take on business and her honesty about what it took to get her from an employee to starting her very own purpose-led business is just so refreshing to hear. She dropped some amazing gold nuggets. Like I really feel like some of what she had to say, I really needed to hear today. It was such an honor to speak to her. She's a published author, she's a speaker, she's a facilitator and a coach. She's got a very relatable approach to what can be a very sensitive and personal topic. With a background in teaching leadership and positive psychology, Amy brings a fresh take to this much needed space. Enjoy the episode. So today I am joined by a very special guest, Amy Green, and I go way back. Amy, I can't even remember. I don't know. When it when it started, our relationship. I think you must have bought one of my courses back in the day. And yeah. we did some coaching together. And I know you're so heavily into personal development anyway. We'll get onto that in a minute. And now you're part of the Amplify family. So Absolutely. You know, we see a lot of each other, you and I. And it's a a real honor to speak to you today. So thank you so much for being here. And the reason I wanted to interview you is, number one, what you are doing to change the culture in the teaching world is phenomenal and so desperately needed. But also just like your journey to business. And I just think the you're like the poster girl of doing the personal development, doing the internal work to create the external results. So why don't we start with your a brief backstory of where you were in teaching, what you saw going on in the teaching world and how that led you to start the wellness strategy. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We do go way back. So that would have mean I was 
teaching when we first started hanging out, which I don't know, it must have been like 2014, 2015, a good number of years ago, uh, working as a teacher, which I love. I still love education and teaching and then moved into leadership, which kind of happens if you're on that career path. And it was that moment where I really started to notice that, oh my goodness, there are, uh, were a significant number of teachers struggling with their own well-being, their own mental health. The way the workplace was designed wasn't supportive of that in some aspects for a whole number of reasons. And that's really what led me to starting what wasn't the wellness strategy then, but something else, just playing in the space of actually we need to do something about the well-being of our educators. And I did that whilst also teaching and working full-time as a school leader too, uh, even as I kind of worked through that career path. And then a number of things kind of happened to lead me to have my own business. And, and we do go way back. So I definitely would have shared with you in the past that I never wanted to start a business. It was way too hard. I didn't want to do it. it it was not in my vision at all. And I ended up moving from teaching to working for a company for 18 months. That was interesting in itself, just working for someone else. You know, I'd only ever been a teacher. That was all I knew. And schools operate different to then working in a company. So I did that. That ended suddenly with a redundancy, completely out of the blue. Uh, and ironically, I was working in the teacher wellbeing space similarly then as well. I lost all of my IP. I wasn't allowed to take anything or do anything with it. Uh, it was a massive life event. At the so, same time, so, I... Yeah? Sorry to interrupt. So you would, you would actually, even though you were still working in education, you'd also been working for this other company and giving them and creating IP with them around teacher support and what we can yeah. do to change the culture of supporting the educators in yeah. the system. And then when the redundancy came, you realized that none of the IP belonged to you anymore. It was yeah. all theirs. Yeah, that is a, well, that's a bullet to take, isn't it? Well, not only all theirs, but also not going to be used. So gone to waste. Oh. So like, I just want to say, I know that that was a business decision and it wasn't anything personal. So I'm not you know, saying that, but that's how it works when you work for someone else. And that was a real learning curve for me, especially around IP designing things. Obviously the space that I'm in is quite a hot topic. So I occasionally get asked to do different things. And I have a really, um, I guess a really different mindset now and have put some boundaries in place. And I'm really careful about who I do or don't work for contract for what that looks like. And hand, well, I just don't hand over IP. I'm just really solid in that now. Mm. And do you think that was one of the things that made you shift to the stories and the belief systems that you had around, oh, I couldn't possibly work for myself? <laughs> what do you think that was? What was, the, what was the story that you were telling yourself that was like, oh, I can't go in business for myself? There were just so many things I didn't know. Yeah, like okay. So many things I didn't know how to do. I also felt like it was really unsafe. Uh, so I felt at that time that I needed that security and that safety. I thrive in things like routine and structure. Teaching gives me that. It's a very safe job. You get your pay packet each week. I know when my holidays are. I know what the working day generally looks like. I was good at it. You know, I found it fulfilling and rewarding and managed my life in that way. Stepping into business was just a whole lot of unknowns that I was like too hard can't handle not smart enough that was a massive like not smart enough uh, to know what to do to be able to run my finances also a whole lot of things that I had been told around gender like being a woman being an attractive female being a young female going into a profession that's predominantly led by men uh, not being taken seriously because of gender the way I look my age all of those things uh, just so many things that 
hidden away that I didn't realize was stopping me from taking the, the leap, not necessarily things that I believe that that I'd been told and then taken on. Yeah, that's so interesting that yeah. you, that those beliefs that you had had actually come from somebody else's belief system and then you just adopt them because if you get told them like they're the truth you believe them like they're the truth and then they become your truth and then you create yeah. a world where that truth is manifest right yeah that's so it's quite confronting actually isn't it when you Usually. uncover those sorts of truths especially because most of them lay dormant they're quite unconscious although although they direct your behavior you know it's not like you're having that conversation with yourself you're just like business no it's like yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it. it's a knee-jerk reaction but in between the business and the no there's all of these belief systems pages and and pages. yeah yeah and so having the experience of working for somebody else and then having your ip taken away and also even worse not then actually being used to see the light of day that was one of the things that i guess compelled you to really examine why you were so hesitant to to start out in business but i guess the other thing is that you're so deeply passionate about the work that you do and one of the things I read in I think probably one of the blogs that you have written somewhere is about how your mum used to say to you that you know if you don't have a job to do I'll give you a job you know yeah, your, your worth was sort of tied up in busyness and I think you know I know a lot of educators I actually did two years of primary school teacher training myself I went to predominantly teacher training university the University of Winchester <clears throat> and so I know secondhand as an observer just how busy teachers are and I just wondered if really quickly we could just sort of dance around the edges of what do you think the impact of that level of pressure on the teachers but also on the children then and the system itself what do you think sort of that pressure creates so much I think first of all as a teacher when you're always busy you never feel like you're doing a good enough job because you're always looking for the next thing, adding something to to your to-do list, competing with other teachers who seem to be doing things that you're not, but should you do it? So then your self-worth gets tied up into that. You also don't know in terms of well-being how to rest, how to switch off, how to put yourself first. And so what we know about people who are always in that busy state, who are always feeling rushed, like they're never complete, I and feeling like there's always something to do, is that they're not able to relax or be calm or collaborate or connect really deeply because they're always thinking about what next what now and so if you've got a teacher who's thinking right now I'm teaching maths but actually this afternoon I need to call these three parents and then I need to change that display and then I need to do this resource for tomorrow they're not actually present Mm. so we have things in the classroom not being addressed teachers feeling like they can't connect with their students because they just don't have time or feeling like they're doing a lesson that's kind of okay but not what they wanted to do but they didn't get time because they had to respond to however many emails after the staff meeting after five o'clock because when else do we do them it just ends up being this loop and then what we see now is this mass exodus of teachers going I'm not doing that anymore yeah because we are in a teacher crisis here in Australia and I I know the same is true in the UK but and and you and I have talked about this before this isn't new data that's coming through this is not a surprise this has been in the black and white binary code for years and no one has done anything about it. Yeah, yeah, really interesting too. I actually was reading a chapter in my book about this just now. So there's data going back like 2016, 2017, where teachers were already saying, 
I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like, I, I don't want to do this. But I even recall when I went to university. So I started university in 2003, uh, 2003, that they said to us then, wait 15 years or so, which is now 15, 20 years, because that's when the baby boomers will leave. So I was thinking about this. We have like all of the baby boomers retiring. And then we have a generation of people coming in who are actually saying, my well-being matters more than going the extra mile, than doing all of the things that you just expect that I should do because I'm a teacher. It's a real, I think, cultural shift in the perception of teachers, public perception. I mean, teachers used to be this amazing, profound, sought-after profession because people respected it and that is, that's gone now. So it's, I think it's just a whole combination of things that are coming into play. And, of course, we have so much more neurodiversity in the classroom these days. You know, we have so many more mental health problems with children these days. And that also puts another added pressure onto the teacher. And I suppose onto the system as well, which is, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing this horrendously unfunded. Hugely. Yeah. 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 From multiple ways, not just for the students and the resources that they need, but also for the teachers and the resources that they need depending on where you go to university, your training might look a little bit different. And then depending on what students turn up in your classroom, it will depend on what resources you actually need. It's always changing. It's always evolving. And then that's always the, do we have the time and do we have the money? Like teacher PD is something that schools have to pay out of their own budget, along with how are we fitting out our classrooms? What resources do our students need? Building works that need to happen. You know, it's it's crazy. Mm. And so you saw this happening in real life you kind of I suppose went into your own personal development sort of you were your first case study as far as I can work out you were like okay so how do I make sure that I am safeguarding my well-being in this high-paced busy underfunded under-resourced environment so that I can be the best not just for me and, and keep my own sense of identity but also for the children that I work with in the communities in which mm. I work. And then people were just sort of asking you how you how you managed to keep your shit together during term Basically. time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, from Basically. That, and from that, you realized there was a conversation to be had, right? Yeah, I guess the question was, how did I keep my shit together? And to be honest, for the most part, I did. And there were definitely days where I didn't or weeks where I was like, I just don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of term. That was a mindset I had a lot. And I and I know now I needed to shift that. And that's something I would encourage people to do if you're hanging on by a thread to that holiday, whether you're a teacher or not. It really um, creates an, an unhealthy mindset for us to be in and this kind of inner resentment or just that ongoing exhaustion because we're hanging out for Friday or hanging out for the weekend which is a sign we're not looking after ourselves but yeah I really fell into a place of having to mentor and coach and work with teachers around things that we talk a lot about in personal development actually around things like boundaries around self-confidence around self-trust around being okay with doing what you can and letting other things go with really being aware of the conversations that you're having and the people you're surrounding yourself with, uh, what you give your time and energy to and what you choose to keep to yourself. So a lot of personal development and human behavior aspects into the teaching space, because as we mentioned, it's such a busy task orientated job. And that can take away from, well, who am I being in this space as well? And what's your vision for the wellness strategy? Like, what would you love to see your business create in terms of like, I guess, systemic change. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see well-being for teachers at the centre of school culture. 
So when we think about culture, whether it in terms of performance or productivity or engagement of our staff and our teachers, but also how we're being, how we work with each other, how we collaborate, how we connect, that is essentially driven by the well-being of the people in the workforce, of the people in the workplace. And so that's what I would love to see, that the wellness strategy helps schools to create a thriving culture. So teachers feel like their well-being is first and foremost, and that naturally enhances their ability to be great teachers. And what's the knock-on effect for our students and for our general culture at large? Happy teachers, happy students. That's it. It's that simple, <laughs> I mean, isn't it? It's, it's simple, right? We have happy teachers, happier, more engaged teachers who feel like their time matters, who like feel like they can have a life both in and out, out of a classroom, where psychological safety is high, where they're continually allowed to reflect and grow and have autonomy around their practice. And then we have teachers who are standing in front of students who are like, no, I've got this. This is okay. I I can do it. And if I can't, I'm okay to go and ask for help or say this needs to shift or we need to change something here. And well-being is not something that we do, but it's just part of who and how we are all the time. Mm. Oh, my God, I love that. Well-being is nothing that we do. It's a part of who we are and how we are all the time. God, That's awesome. Tell me about the business structure that you are creating and the journey that you've sort of had with that. How have you, so you you were working for this company, you got made redundant. Um, You then went back to teaching for a short while, didn't you? Because you moved location. And then you were like, right, I am doing this. I am going to lay all of my limiting beliefs to the ground and I am going to create a business that helps to change the culture that we have around teacher well-being. Yeah. What was your first step? Where did you even start? I actually started with the book deal. That was what kind of got me out of my funk. Uh, so I, w- I went back to teaching after being made redundant because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, that was just crushing on so many levels. <sighs> my confidence, my worth, my like belief in was this even really a thing? Like, should I be doing this? Like, who am I to do it? Am I worthy enough? Like I had so many things just circulating. I went back to teaching because it was easy and safe and I like it. And I was like crushed. And then I got offered a book deal to write about this topic (laughs) that I'd been telling myself that maybe wasn't worth pursuing and I definitely wasn't going to do it on my own. And so whatever, the book deal was the one thing that propelled me into really going, actually, maybe you do have something. Maybe you are worthy. Someone wants to invest in you. You know, that was massive for me. Mm. That really got me to challenge a lot of the beliefs I had. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to write a book, there's a bit, there is a business in this. It is needed. Like it is needed. Even if other, for a long time, I looked for other people to support me or to help me create it because I just didn't think I could do it on my own. And I realized actually, if you can write a book, you can run a business. Mm. Like if you can write 50, 60,000 words, that is all your own IP that I had to build from scratch. So no new, no recycled content, like all new, new frameworks, new ideas, new approaches, new research. If I could do that, I could run a business. Like I could help turn a book into action. And from there, it just, there was just ripples that came from that uh, and different ways of what I wanted it to look like and what I wanted to offer. I mean, I've still been playing with that recently. It's probably only been the last month or so. You know, I spent about 12 months really exploring how I wanted that business to look because I had a lot of stuff I had to work through around it being hard and time consuming and the challenges and was I smart enough and only you now recently do I feel like actually no I've got this like I can do these things and I can make it look how I want 
So it's self-belief. Hugely. That's the first step. And here's the irony is that kind of to begin with, you kind of have to fool yourself with self-belief, don't you? You're like, what would I do if I did believe in myself as opposed to I believe in myself? Because without any kind of evidence, we're just kind of bullshitting ourselves. But sometimes that's enough to take the first step. It's like, if I believed in myself, what would I do? Okay, I would do this one thing. And then you do that one thing. And then the next step becomes a bit clearer. And then the next step and the next step. And then as you take those steps, that self-belief actually you begin to build evidence for it and it begins to consolidate and you begin to be like oh I am doing the thing that I told myself I couldn't do and now here I am doing it yeah Yeah. and I also think in terms of like work and hard work and the uh, I guess sometimes the enormity of what you overused analogy when you're standing at the bottom of the mountain and you're looking up but part of creating a purpose-led business I suppose is about recognizing that it is more than you and it's actually bigger than you and you are not going to go and do all of this work for your own benefit. You're Mm. doing it because there is something bigger than you that needs to change because there's a system that needs to change because your peers and your contemporaries or the teachers that are coming up through the ranks so desperately need this work and these frameworks and the ripple effect that that then has on the children, on the system as a general rule, on the society in which we all live, you've got happy teachers, you've got happy students, if you've got happy students, you've got happy members of the community, like that's when you begin to realize that actually, the hard work isn't about you. It's the thing that you're willing to do, because you have a vision that just feels bigger than I've created a business, and I want this business to make me X amount of money, so I can buy this house, or so I can have this car. And the houses Mm. and the cars are all really nice. And I think you can have both. Absolutely. But Mm. the hard work becomes because we do live in a world where I accidentally the other day, accidentally on TikTok, like liked a video from someone who was like, this is how you can, you know, these are my 10 passive income streams or whatever. And so now my algorithm is flooded with them and I completely get it. And it's always really, really tempting, but it's also kind of soulless work, isn't it? To produce content that, you know, someone then just buys and then you just get money for it. Like, yeah, like it's hard to find the motivation to put the work in to create that product. But when you, if it's not doing anything, but when you have that, bigger vision I don't know yeah it's going to be hard work and there's going to be a lot of work and it's going to take a year of playing with frameworks and working out what works and what doesn't but the meaning behind it is so much bigger Mm, yeah I think I definitely when I started was driven by oh like you know the money and the things that I want and what does it look like and what lifestyle is it going to give me and I, I played with that and then after a while that I was like this is not about me this actually has nothing to do with me this is about a system that's failed us in a profession that we need. Like we can't not have education and teachers. And this is about something that I still love, that I'm still highly, highly connected to. My partner's a teacher, like I still live it every day. And it's actually wasn't about what I could get from it. It was about what I could give. And then that just propelled me into a space of, well, if, if it is just about giving and it is about change and it is about systemic work. And I think, you know, it's about change at the top, but it's also teaching people to lead from the bottom. Then what skills do I need to be able to help people with? What does it look like from different angles? That's where I allowed myself to play and be creative and think, well, if this is a business and I'm in the work of change, then what awesome stuff can I give? That changed the whole way of how I approached it. Oh my God. Everybody in the whole world needed to hear that. (laughs) Hands down. Yeah, if this is about what I can give, then what does that look like? What do you think has been your biggest challenge in business so far? 
a few. I mean, I already mentioned the belief work around letting go of other people's perceptions, people telling me that this work wasn't worthy, that it wasn't needed, that schools didn't have the time, money, energy, budget for it, et cetera, that I would never make anything of it. That's- have you have you found any of that to be true? Because as we both know, like things can be true and false at the same time, right? Yeah. Like, do you yeah. find that there are some schools that are just like, we have just don't have the time or the energy yeah. or the money for, for teacher welfare? Yeah, yeah, very, it is very much true. And, and not to say that they don't care, but just to say that there are so many other competing priorities, they can't fit it into their budget, or they've already spent the money that they're allocated. And so they just, they want help, but they can't afford it. That's where it gets hard, because, you know, I can't work for free, even though I want to help everyone, or that it's not a priority right now, although it is. They, it is all truth, but also there are many schools who are like, no, I want, we want help. We want to do this. And I suppose from a business angle, I had to remind myself, I am one person. I cannot work with all of the schools in the world anyway. So those who are ready to do the work will come to me and I will be able to help them. And those who aren't ready yet, that's okay. Oh, what a gorgeous lesson in surrender. Yeah. <laughs> so I also remember you saying that one of your principles back in the day told you that this work was dead end and that there was no need for it so tell me a little bit about that conversation yeah that was a one of those career path conversations that we have with our leaders in workplaces and I remember the conversation around we could put you on a career path you could be like a principal by your by the time you're in your mid-30s well, the initial conversation happened before that. And I was like, this was in my 20s. I was like, I don't want to do that. So I went to London for three years. And then when I came back, the conversation picked up. And I just remember thinking, I don't I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. I, I want to help more people. There's a real need for that. And I, sh- and I shared it in, because I was asked, well, if that's not your career path, what is it? And so I shared this and I was met with, that's not possible. That's not a thing. Schools don't have money for that or time. You know, schools aren't prepared to invest in their teachers like that. That's not what professional development is for. It's about students. I also had questions like, do you take your profession seriously if that's where you want to go? Really interesting, interesting comments. And again, they've been with me and I've just, you know, that's just not my story. That's just not what it is. Yeah, you you have to be fully autonomous and decide that that is not your story and that's not your path yeah. and that's not where it's going to be. Any other challenges that you can delight us with? Yeah, I mean, there's many challenges from the the business and the space perspective. I think really looking into how, you know, playing with breaking down the way in which you work. So the perception of going from a nine to five to having the flexibility to having to build your own boundaries around what that looks like. I think that's been a real challenge in business and also having the confidence to ask for help. So I went through a transition of, no, no, I actually have got this. I can do it all on my own to not that I couldn't, but is that the best use of my time and energy? Probably not. So learning to outsource things has been a real lesson and a challenge from a business perspective. And I think, you know, in the education space, when we're talking about systemic change, that is a really hard, complex, controversial thing to tap into as to is well-being and mental health. We see a lot of it in social media and we know that it's a need, but now transitioning into understanding that actually workplaces play a responsibility to address this beyond just offering the six AAP sessions or a fruit bowl on the staff room table is what some people are willing and ready to talk about and what some places just aren't. So, you know, it's tricky work. What do you mean what some workplaces are willing to talk about and what some aren't? What does that look like? 
so, because so, in this space, you have to be prepared to ask the people you work with, what are the real issues and challenges? And once you know that, you're either choosing to change it or you're choosing to ignore it. And if you don't want to do anything about it, then you're not going to ask the question. On some level, some workplaces or even schools who are perhaps saying we don't have the time, energy and money for it are not just saying we don't have the time for me as a business. They're saying we don't have the time to change. And that's so problematic. That must be so frustrating to hear. Yeah, I actually empathise with that because I know what it's like to work and be in a school. And I know that there is truth to that. I know what it's like if you are, you know, for example, if you've got a school with massive behavior issues, you're talking about physical safety then of your staff. That is a priority. I mean, that is part of well-being too, but, you know, it's, it's, and schools don't have an endless supply of money and schools don't have an endless supply of time. And there are just so many intricacies in this space and this work. And also we are, schools are very much part of the industrial revolution workplace setting. We're like old workplace. We're not startups we're not new tech companies we're not out there breaking rules because we have to conform to something that the government or society views as you operate this way I mean imagine if we introduced flexible working hours for teachers (laughs) (laughs) or those little pods where you just go and have a little nap in the middle of the day yeah (laughs) you guys you guys keep doing your arithmetic yeah is just gonna go and have a nap in a pod yeah 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 so I mean I'm not saying we can't ever get there Mm. I'm just saying that is massive shift from how we believe schools should operate. Yeah. And I suppose that also like filters down, not just into like the daily structure of the school, but also I suppose like what we teach in school and how we teach in school, especially as we mentioned earlier with the rise of neurodivergence and, and you know, it's no, it's no longer a one size fits all and it's no longer actually just about can we get these kids to read and write and then we've done our job because it's so much more intricate than that now and teachers Mm. no longer just need to stand there and get kids to recite their two times table because honestly anybody could have done that yeah it's now a really complex job with so many different layers and yeah if you are not in a mentally emotionally and spiritually fit place that's really going to take its toll on how Mm. you produce work in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's fair in any workplace. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably just, I don't know. uh, Yeah. I guess it's the same with nurses or, you know, the, in the healthcare profession also, as we know, a horrendously underfunded industry at the moment. So yeah, I guess quality of your work will depend in part on your own internal well-being. Yeah. Yeah. What has been one of your biggest sort of lessons in terms of like leadership in this journey so far? I think that all you can do is keep showing up, but you can't make other people come with you. Mm. You know, if I think about this whole journey, I've just had to keep showing up. I've just had to stand with such certainty in the fact that I believe this matters so much that I'm going to keep showing up even if no one else does, I will keep showing up. I will keep showing up because eventually this day will come. (laughs) I mean, you know, seven years ago when I was like, I don't want to be a principal. I want to go and help this. And I was being told no. I knew that this would happen. I knew that this work was needed. And so I had to keep showing up. And I think as leaders, you, when you lead with a vision and you lead with the purpose of 
giving to others and it's not about yourself, then you have no choice but to keep showing up because otherwise you're just leading for performance or leading for outcome. And that has an end point. But visions evolve. And so you've got to keep showing up. Oh my God, all of the hairs on my body just stood up. That was so powerful. To lead for outcome or self has an end point, whereas vision evolves. That's very powerful. What is one of the like core beliefs that you now hold true about yourself that helps you to show up, especially on the days when it feels hard or difficult? On days when it's hard and difficult, I actually use the belief that it doesn't have to be right now, like at this very minute. So that, yeah, I know that's quite not, not quite like a belief, but what I'm trying to say is that there are days where I'm like on and working and there are days where I'm like, oh, not today. And so when I, I suppose the belief is that as long as I hold the vision and the energy and honour where I'm at, what I need will meet that, which is so different to working a nine to five. And so I think the real, the real belief is like, I've got it. I know what I need to do and I know the work that needs to be done. And it needs to happen on my timeline when I'm feeling like it's right, not when I'm trying to force it onto someone else. There's, a, there's massive layers underneath that. Huge that's probably layers. It. Yeah. Do you know, it's so funny. I was talking to my mate, Emma, yesterday. And yesterday I had one of those days where I was like, pew, 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 pew. Like, oh, so on fire. And I had turned around to Emma. She was like, oh, how's your day? And I was like, oh, so good. I got so much done. And as the words came out of my mouth, I was like, isn't it funny how... I equate a good day to being really productive. And then there are days when I sit at my laptop and I have zero creativity, I have zero energy, I have zero focus. And so I kind of procrastinate all day. I feel irritable in my body sometimes when that happens. And then normally around like two, three o'clock, I'll just like give up. And then I'll spend the afternoon berating myself for the fact that I gave up a work day. And I have, I classify that as a day that must be bad. That is a bad business day. Mm, when mm. actually what you have just said has just made me think, no, neither oh. of those days is good nor bad. There are just no. some days when for whatever reason, whether it's hormones, whether it's what the moon is doing or where Saturn is in the sky or whether it's just one of those days where I'm on and then there are days when I'm not on and that doesn't mean that the vision is failing. It doesn't mean that I'm not showing up. It doesn't mean that I'm not doing enough. And it doesn't have to be a good or a bad day. I get to do it on my timeline with my energy when I can. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Oh, God, you've just changed my life. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. That was awesome. Very welcome. Very welcome. I mean, we, you, you know in business, you would know when you're when, – when you're not doing what you can, when you're holding yes. yourself back, you know, that's different to, I don't know, we're going into a Venus gate and I don't have any energy or whatever, or I ate something and now I'm just feeling blah. And that doesn't mean you can't hold your vision and your space. It doesn't mean that things aren't moving while you're nurturing yourself. In fact, sometimes it's in those downtime moments, isn't it? That random ideas come or solutions drop yeah. in. The space, mm. the space. I think it's the permission and the space to not force yourself to do something to allow other things to come in. Because otherwise, like you said, you're sitting in front of your laptop in a space of energy. That's that's essentially a block to me because mm. you're like trying to force yourself something to do something that's not that. I think that is so different from having a nine to five job as well, where you're told to work during these hours. And I think that's part of that. Learning how to lead from 
your own energy and how you feel as opposed to getting stuff done some of my best work comes out at like 9 p.m 10 p.m 11 p.m sometimes midnight and I used to really resist that because I you know I'm a huge lover of sleep and I'm a huge believer in rest and so yeah for a really long time I'd be like oh my god no I I can't possibly like let the stream of consciousness come out now it's 10 p.m and then I was like yeah I can I do what I want I can have a nap tomorrow exactly work for myself that's the beauty of it isn't it yeah Amy as always it's just always such an honor and a pleasure to talk to you is there anybody else who you think I should speak to on this podcast well I am a big believer in supporting local so Aussie businesses and Uh, the environment. I try and do my bit, you know, try and do what we can. And I guess this comes back to, we all play a role in our own well-being in the own world that we live in, in in the own space that we have, right? That individual responsibility. So there's a company called Green Caffeine, which I really think you should get on board because I know you do like a coffee, Mm -hmm. as do I. And they are all about reducing our, our disposable coffee cup waste, which is huge really relevant to people in business because we go to our coffee shops and we get our coffee and we do our work but they are all about starting up almost like imagine it like a library so instead of borrowing a book you borrow a coffee cup you get your coffee you go away and drink it and then you've got 30 days to return your cup and you scan it back in you can get a new cup which I just think it's little it's little ideas it sounds so simple but can have dramatic impact on the environment and the world we live in and I think they've probably got a really cool story that's awesome I will be hunting them down what an amazing initiative yeah 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 that's so great and lastly how can people get involved with what you are doing um I know you've got a book out on pre-order which is very exciting yes yeah super exciting the book is on pre-order it's being published by Amber Press so you can grab that and then I'm also on Instagram at underscore the wellness strategy website via the same name or you can follow me on LinkedIn with Amy Green and that is definitely where I share a lot of educational pieces. Beautiful Amy thank you so much for joining me today you're an absolute champion I will continue screaming for you from the sidelines and thank you so much for the work that you're doing it's so very needed. Thank you super appreciate it. Huge thanks to Amy Green for joining me today. Uh, If you'd like to know more about what Amy is up to and if you would like the link to pre-order her book and make sure you're following her on LinkedIn as well, then head to all of the links in the show notes. And if you're a member of Behind the Scenes, then you are invited to an exclusive conversation between myself and Amy all about her book how the opportunity found her, how she's executed the writing of the book, the fears, the beliefs, the issues that she's had in creating it, and some of the strategies that she has used to complete it. So if you'd love to join us in that conversation, we'd love to see you behind the scenes. Head to the show notes for more information about how to join.